Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg's executive producer, Rob Perra. On today's episode, Eric Oberholzer, co-founder and CEO of Tender Greens, talks about how chefs can change public perception and ultimately change policy by adopting a holistic view of health, bringing regeneratively grown, regionally specific ingredients to more people and supporting employees. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Today, I get to chat with Eric Oberholzer, the CEO and founder or co-founder of Tender Greens. He's also a Crop Trust Food Forever champion and an advocate, a really, really a great advocate for healthy, affordable, sustainably grown food. So, Eric, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I ask everyone the same first question, and that's, what is your favorite food memory? And I'm sure as a chef and a lover of food, you have a lot of them. Uh, but you share whatever you want, share as many as you want. Uh, well, I, I guess you always go back to childhood. And I, um, I, I always loved coming home from school and running into the kitchen. My mom would have a big pot of something on the stove, and I would I'd climb up on a stool with a spoon and, uh, and, and start tasting. And it was that nightly ritual of connecting with my mom over a boiling pot of something um, that really uh, developed my, my relationship with food. That's great. And really developed your palate, I'm sure, and, and made you want to be the great chef that you are. That's awesome. Yeah, in an early age. It was, uh, food was my friend, never an enemy. That's great. Uh, that's awesome. So I think you just got back from a really long trip, right? Did you go to the seed vault? So <clears throat> I had my dates wrong. So the, uh, <laughs> this, the seed vault is next, uh, next month. Oh, great. Time. So uh, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, February 23rd through the 26th. That's awesome. Do you just want to give our listeners a quick rundown of what we're talking about? So the Global Seed Vault, uh, which is run by the Crop Trust, do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, so the Svalbard Global Seed Vault houses the world's uh, crop diversity. Uh, so every, uh, every seed in the world, um, it's a redundant supply, um, really as a, uh, as a safety valve or safety net um, if there's crop failure, if there's uh, a massive shift uh, in the environment, as, mm-hmm. as we're seeing, um, it is in a frozen mountain in northern Norway um, with the idea that if we need access to some or all of the world's uh, crop diversity, we, we have it preserved in this vault. And it's run by the, the Crop Trust and um, feeds the 11 international vaults around the, around the world. Right. And it's such a cool concept and, and the Crop Trust is such a cool organization. It's actually how you and I know each other because we're both Food Forever champions. But I have long admired, I'm sure like you have, the Crop Trust and their work because it's so incredibly important. They're like my favorite organization. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of esoteric at, at first. It's almost... Uh, uh, sci-fi. Uh, but the deeper you get into it, uh, the the more important it is. And as you and I have uh, really gotten into into the weeds of, of biodiversity and how food plays a, a massive role in in the future of things, uh, the work that 
they do at the crop trust and through food forever and um you know sort of symbolically uh protected uh, at, the, at the feed hall it's just a, it's a fascinating um body of work and, and an incredible organization. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes when people hear that there's this global seed vault that's there in case of a, you know, a really big catastrophe, uh, they feel sort of like it's dystopian. And as you mentioned before, but I find it so hopeful. I like knowing that there are the, you know, not just the the big seed vault, but there are all these seed banks and, and other ways that people are saving seeds and, and, you know, making sure that they're available for farmers now, not just in, in terms of, of when there might be a disaster. I just find it so hopeful. It's, it's hopeful and it, it, it becomes uh, instantly relatable when you begin to understand that the heirloom tomatoes that we now uh, love and, and expect in our summer markets <clears throat> are really part of that. They're, mm-hmm. they're part of the, uh, the brilliance of diversity and, um, and the magic that is, is held within some of these ancient varietals. Um, so whether it's going deep, deep into a single ingredient like a tomato and, and exploring all of the variations or going wide across the world's um, plant and animal diversity and, and, uh, and, and tasting and playing with ingredients like phonio or amaranth mm-hmm. that maybe we, we've, we've heard of or, or haven't heard of, but have never tasted and, and opening up uh, all the potential in, in those ingredients. <clears throat> um, it's, it's just part of, or an extension of the the slow food movement that we've been um, enrolled in for the last 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. And I know that's such a huge part of your work. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your restaurant chain, Tender Greens, and why you decided to start it and and what the concept behind it. It's about 14 years old now, right? And you started in California? Yeah, we we started in uh, Culver City, um, California, which is... um, was part of Los Angeles uh, in 2006. And, you know, I had been a chef for over a decade, mostly up in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and then uh, a bit in Los Angeles. And I had always worked for, uh, you know, restaurants and and hotels that that catered to the 1%, um, which is great if you're the 1%. I wasn't. And what I wanted to do with, with tender grains is bridge the gap between uh, fine dining and slow food and, right. and uh, the very accessible fast food uh, world that, that we all know um, but are, are you know, probably sick and, and overweight as a result of. <laughs> sure. um, and, and we landed on, on you know, the concept of tender greens that um, slow food, good food, whole food uh, didn't have to be held to the privileged few but could be scaled up and made accessible to, to many. And, you know, I, can, I continue that work today where we're, we're going to uh, launch a, a project in Philadelphia that's centered on regenerative organic um, farms uh, here in Pennsylvania. And then uh, also uh, bring in a lot of these ingredients that are on the edge of the food system uh, that I've come uh, to, to love now through the work with uh, Food Forever and the Crop Trust. And, and that's the Tender Green Sustainable Life Project, right? Or is, is, is that something different? This, this is completely different. So Sorry. the Sustainable Life Project was um, a program that I started about a decade ago um, with a mission to 
provide a sustainable path forward through food and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and restaurant education uh, for emancipated foster youth. So these are the kids who are uh, least likely to succeed, uh, most likely to fall through the cracks of society. And we thought through um, mentorship, uh, through uh, the team and family environment of a, of a restaurant and access to good food and, and a, uh, a, a very close farm network that we could change the path of these kids' lives. And we've done that. We've graduated hundreds of kids so great. who statistically would have ended up in prison are, are now, in some cases, running uh, our restaurants. I love how food, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, people didn't see food as such an opportunity to have a job. I mean, there were chefs and then, you know, if, you know, people worked in fast food, but I don't think as much as people do now, especially young people think of it as this exciting career opportunity. And it's been really cool to see how hospitality training has changed over the last five or five years for me, just watching some of these projects um, get off the ground, but it's, it's really changed since, you know, the, the, the turn of the century. It's really exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's the most exciting time to be in food, and it's the most important uh, time to be in food. And, you know, there were pioneers like Alice Waters mm-hmm. and others who carved away, and, and then, uh, you know, the Food Network brought <clears throat> brought greater awareness, and then the uh, the explosion of culinary schools and the, and the fascination with chefs as, as celebrity. And now, you know, chefs in many ways have the mic, uh, and uh, they're, you know, we're, we're sort of in the center of everything that, that matters because food touches everything. So mm-hmm. whether it's climate change, whether it's um, community, whether it's our personal histories um, or health and wellness, uh, food has a, a massive role to play and it could be negative or it could be positive. So you, you sort of choose which side of um, history you want to be on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Alice Waters. I had the opportunity to spend some more time with her last week at Chef Dance at the Sundance Film Festival. And I'm glad that you brought up the point that, you know, chefs have taken on sort of all these different roles. Like, you know, she's a, 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 like you, a really committed advocate to a more sustainable food system. And she's also, you know, become this sort of political force because she's calling for changes in legislation that will help um, schools procure more food from from you know regional and local farmers. Do you consider yourself you know if, if you look back on the start of your career, do you think you're more political now than you were then? I try and um, stay out of traditional politics. Uh-huh. I I believe that um, you know a an entrepreneur, a chef um, can can change. Uh, cultural perception mm-hmm. and that if you change cultural perception, uh, then you can, you can change policy. Um, I, uh, I've been, uh, deeply, uh, moved and inspired and influenced by Alice Waters. Uh, my first uh, job in California when I moved from Boston was at Chippenese. Oh, and, so you know, I always say it was as though, the world uh, went from black and white to, to color. <laughs> like, like the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and I was exposed to things that I, I, it just blew my mind. California was so ahead of the curve, and Alice was um, at the tip of that. And, uh, you know, whether it's the work that she's done with 
with farmers, um, the the dedication to organic and just good food using the best possible ingredient and, and not getting in its way and, and the give back, you know, getting to the kids with the, the edible schoolyard. Um, you know, she's been a force and she's been decades ahead of everybody else. And where I, I sort of come in, I suppose on that is, um, you know, what I really tried to do, and this is an early inspiration was, um, how can I take everything that Alice Waters and, and, mm-hmm. and, and the movement that she created um, and, and bring it to a broader audience? Um, so through price and, and speed of service and relatability of menu, um, take the sort of you know, what sometimes in our end of the food business can be a bit elitist, mm-hmm. um, but, but make it more, more accessible. And that's, that's really where I come in um, uh, always is that I, uh, <clears throat> I recognize that, you know, the privileged uh, few will, will be the early adopters, but uh, we want to fast track to, you know, to a much broader audience so that we can scale. And, and through Absolutely. scale, uh, then you can really, uh, you know, expand that impact. No, and I mean, I think that's what I admire most around what you're doing, that you're trying to make healthy, sustainably grown, delicious food available to, you know, more and more people, if not everyone eventually. And I I think that's so admirable because, you know, a lot of us, when we think of chefs, think about what you said about this elitism and, you know, the the fine dining being for for the very few. And it's, it's amazing to see how, you know, fast casual restaurants like Tender Greens and others who are trying to do the right thing have grown. I want to get back to this idea of the relatability of food and why that's sort of a core of, of what you're trying to do with Tender Greens. Why is that important? Why is it important to have ingredients that people recognize and give them a twist? Um, you know, it's comfort, uh, people, you know, you, it's like with everything, you know, meet people where they're at. Um, and for, for tender greens, uh, the way we did that was we believe that, that, you know, people loved certain things. They loved a perfectly roasted chicken. Um, they loved the bright, um, vinaigrette, uh, mm-hmm. tossed with, um, just picked, lettuces they loved um vegetables that were at the peak of the season um cooked with care and 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 delivered without the distraction of too many other layers to it and it was the kind of food that you would cook at home if you had time to go to the market and prepare it with skill for people that you 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 really mm-hmm, cared about mm-hmm. and and if we could bring that sort of um that that a nurturing quality that you get from a home cooked meal uh, that's done by the best cook you know, um, then we could uh, we could gain the the credibility and and the trust uh, from from our audience so that if we wanted to take them a little bit outside of their comfort zone, they would go there with us. So first it was let's give people what they already love just do it with better ingredients and better technique at a price that they can afford. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the foundation. And then once, once we had their attention, now let's give them something that they aren't familiar with. Um, and this allowed our chefs to be creative, our farmers to be innovative, 
and our audience to go on this journey with us. So cool. And I, I know that, you know, supporting farmers is important to you and supporting local economies, but you're also working really hard to support your employees and, and provide them with, you know, better compensation and, and, and support them better. Can you talk a little bit about how that became a part of, of the restaurant's mission? Yeah, I mean, it was foundational from the beginning. So, you know, as three veterans of, of the restaurant business, we wanted to uh, really build the, the culture around ideals that we loved when we were coming up through the ranks mm-hmm. um, and, and remove, edit out all the things that we didn't, didn't like and then add in those things that were, were missing and we w- wish had been there. Um, so part of that was um, not just career growth, but, but human growth, mm-hmm. that everybody um, had this opportunity uh, to grow as, as a human and, and as, a, uh, as, a, as a professional uh, within uh, the ecosystem of, of Tender Greens and really said, you know, you have one hand uh, reaching upwards um, in need of mentorship and, and guidance, mm-hmm. no matter who you are. And, uh, and you have one hand back uh, behind you, um, helping the next person along the chain right. um, to take, take your position. And, and we hold each other accountable uh, with, a, with a great deal of res- respect and care. And, you know, when that works, you create an environment, a culture um, that believes in itself and believes in the betterment of, of the entire team. So, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's offering equity to, uh, uh, to, you know, our chefs, uh, so that they really feel part of the, the long-term mm-hmm. journey or, uh, clarity, um, on how to move up the, uh, the ladder or the, the food chain in the organization, uh, for those who are just entering and then always, um, giving people outlets for creativity and personal growth, which we, we sort of borrowed from, from Google. We don't have the resources of Google, but, uh, um, you know, this idea that it's not 100% work, that everybody um, is better off and ultimately the, you know, the, the brand is better off right. if people can uh, explore the, their personal or professional passions. Yeah, that's so important. And as somebody who put herself through college and graduate school by waitressing and working in kitchens. I wish that there had been that kind of support. I mean, it's a while ago now, but I I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think everyone should either work on a farm or work in a kitchen or a restaurant or both because I don't trust people who haven't worked in food. <laughs> I, I just think they're different kinds. They're, they're uh, people who are hardworking. They, I have more respect for them than I do folks who haven't worked in, in food service or farming. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to operate with uh, a great deal of empathy if you've never stood in the shoes of, of the people who you're um, you're trying to inspire or lead. And I, I think it's absolutely important. Um, uh, and and, uh, and and I think farming is brutal. And once you've done it, you uh, you have a much deeper appreciation right. for the food that's on your plate. And cooking is and and waiting tables. And, uh, you know, everybody should have to work a Sunday brunch someday. <laughs> for sure. Oh, my gosh, for sure. 
That's great. Um, I want to go back to, because we didn't get a chance to talk about it much, the regenerative um, ag project that you have going on in Pennsylvania and describe a little bit more of what that is and why Pennsylvania and, and why it's important to you. So I grew up in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, um, about five minutes away from the Rhode Island Institute, which oh, wow. is the, um, sort of the OG of, of mm-hmm. organic agriculture in the United States, um, and didn't know much about it growing up. <clears throat> but as I, uh, as I got more and more into regenerative organic uh, uh, farming systems, uh, Rodale's uh, name kept popping up on my radar, even when I was in California. So I reached out to them when I knew I was coming back east, and say, can I stop by the farm? I'm mm-hmm. from Kutztown. I, I, I built this little brand out in California. I, I think, you know, a lot of what we've been doing over the last, you know, 15 years aligns with, you know, you've been working on. Uh, so I, I met with them and, and over time built a relationship and ultimately uh, joined, joined the board. And, uh, you know, we also bought a, a small farm uh, about, 10 minutes away from, from nice. Rodale. And, and now we're transitioning uh, the farm from what was a uh, conventionally grown uh, cornfield uh, into a regenerative uh, organic uh, certified uh, farm uh, that is centered on, on hemp, um, uh, native florals, and then ancient heirloom varietals that, that are unique to, uh, to uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, and Rodale is, uh, is, is sort of consulting along the way. Uh, so we have the full benefit of uh, the Rodale Institute to, to guide us um, awesome. as we uh, navigate uh, this farming system. And it's just, it's gotten me deep into regenerative organic uh, uh, farming. So, you know, I've been working with a, a group up in the Poconos. Um, it's called Pocono Organics, and it's owned by the uh, the folks who have the Pocono Raceway, mm. and it'll be the the largest regenerative organic uh, farm in the country, also uh, tied to Rodale. And what's cool about that this culturally is one, um, the Poconos, even though it's way out in the uh, the country, uh, is a bit of a food um, desert. Sure. And then two, you have a regenerative organic farm uh, adjacent to a NASCAR racetrack. Mm-hmm. Um, so this summer we, uh, we're in the process of designing now, uh, but this summer we, uh, we will have the first uh, certified organic uh, kitchen at a uh, sports venue <laughs> oh, and we'll be serving hundred percent uh, regenerative organic food um, to NASCAR fans, which That's I think amazing. is a cool cultural so any, anything's possible. <laughs> I love it. What a cool audience to expose that to. So you, you've been talking about regenerative organic, and I know that some of our listeners like obviously know what organic is. They've heard this term regenerative. Can you explain what regenerative organic means to you and, and why you wanted to do this? Yeah, so I, I think the, the big shift in thinking um, is um, from sustainable to regenerative and uh, organic uh, was really um, uh, farming without chemicals and minimal inputs whereas regenerative really gets into soil health um, uh, the complexity of the biology in the soil 
and then how that informs the broader ecosystem, not just in, in, in the fields, but in the wild environment. So it really gets more into biodynamics without the, mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of the spiritual stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what it, the, the massive mind shift, I think, with regenerative is we're not just holding a line or worse, um, taking away, but we're actually giving, giving back. Mm -hmm. So we can farm. Um, and we can grow food, um, but we can do it while enriching the soil, building the ecosystem, and creating a more diverse, um, more resilient um, habitat for everything, uh, for the pollinators, for the, uh, for the birds, for the coyotes, every, everything that needs to, to thrive in balance, um, we're, uh, we're inviting in. And, and I think that's a, that's a bit of a shift. Uh, from from the thinking before, which was let's just not let's just not spray, let's not, right? Uh, you know, it's, um, so I, I think it's an important distinction, and and it, um, and given that we've done so much damage, um, mm -hmm. sustaining isn't uh, isn't enough anymore, and uh, the regenerative organic movement uh, really aims to. Um, to, to, to sort of heal back um, our ecosystems and our soil uh, soil wealth um, to a point that, um, that is, is good for the planet and ultimately good for, for everybody. Absolutely. I love that you said sustaining is not enough. And, and I think that term regenerative is such a hopeful word. It's getting back to the hope that we talked about before. And I think in these really sort of urgent times, we need hopeful words uh, and to change the semantics a little of, of how we describe things. Yeah. And I think sometimes we have to be a little bit uh, dramatic to cut through the noise of the time. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, we can, we can do that at the macro level if we have that sort of access and influence or we can do it, you know, in our 40 seat restaurant or uh, our neighborhoods or our home kitchen, whatever it takes. But, Every, every bit matters. Absolutely. So um, I'm wondering, like, what advice you have for, you know, young chefs or, or people who are trying to get into, you know, more regenerative practices, whether they're cooking or farming. What, what's the best pieces of advice somebody gave you when you started doing this kind of work? Well, when I was a, a young cook, you know, go work for the best restaurant and chef that you can you, you can work for. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, um, you know, what was happening in Northern California at the time, this is the early 80s, or sorry, early 90s, um, was way ahead of everybody else, and I, I, I was attached to it. Um, I, I, the advice that I give to, to young folks now is, uh, to your point, go work for a farm. Uh, go up to Blue Hill, mm -hmm. uh, at Stone Barns, go to Rodale, um, you know, go to a, a farm that's uh, small enough to, to, to really um, guide you, uh, but big enough also to, to pressure you and, and give you a good example of what it means to, to farm um, profitably and commercially um, and, and connect yourself with what, what, you know, what it is that uh, farmers go through. And then, uh, go work for some restaurants uh, that are supporting those farmers, truly supporting those farmers. Right. Um, 
you know, if I were doing it over again, I'd probably go to uh, Blue Hill or back to Shape the News or uh, maybe Noma in, in Copenhagen. I mean, there's right. some chefs that are um, enlightened. And, and what I like about what Renee Rizzippi is doing is beyond, you know, using what is available in, in, in Denmark and the techniques that, that work for, for there is now um, recognizing and you, and you see a mind shift in the business that uh, the health of cook or the chef or the busboy or the waiter um, matters. And if mm-hmm. they're not healthy, um, if they're not taking time to, to meditate or exercise or eat well or get some sleep, then then you're just burning out that, that entire generation of, of cooks, which for you and, you and I, that was probably the more the reality. Um, but, but you're starting to see people say you don't have to suffer so much uh, to put out great food and uh, to give people uh, wonderful experiences that, yes, it's hard work. It can be intense at times, and it can even be frustrating and disappointing. But at the end of the day, uh, we have a bigger, more evolved uh, toolkit uh, to provide a real uh, sustained existence for mm-hmm. people in this industry, whether they're a farmer, uh, a chef, or or or, uh, or you know, or somebody in, in uh, just pure uh, front hospitality. And I think it's uh, it's an emerging narrative that I uh, I've, I came upon uh, some time ago. But I'm I'm, uh, I'm happy to see that uh, uh, this new generation of, of chefs are. Um, looking at uh, the industry more holistically. Absolutely. And I think that's that's such great advice on, on a couple of different fronts. And I think that needs to be, and I know in my own work, I need to do it more to be translated into the advocacy and research world where people are, you know, trying to do incredible work around creating a more regenerative, sustainable food system, but they burn out so quickly because it's, it's taxing. It's, it's hard on you. It's hard on your psyche and, and, you know, encouraging people to take care of their mental health. I, I definitely, you know, both personally and with the folks who work with me need to do more of that. And it's, it's a, you know, it is a mind shift and something that you have to be more aware of. Um, but thank you. That's that's really great advice. Um, before I ask the last question, where can people find more information about Tender Greens and the other work that you do? Do you want to give out some URLs? Yeah, so uh, tendergreens.com or uh, at tendergreens um, uh, or you know, at Eric Oberholzer. And then I'm, uh, I'm with a, a group uh, uh, it's called Cohere and it's a uh, it's an evolving agency. Started out as a uh, branding agency, marketing, and placemaking, and now I've brought uh, food and hospitality and um, impact uh, agriculture uh, to it, and we're building that out. So, uh, cohere dot uh, uh, dot city um, would be another uh, one to track. Great, cohere dot city tendergreens.com and at Eric Oberholzer. Great. Okay. So just as I ask everyone the same uh, first question, I ask the same set of last questions. And these are meant to be rapid fire. Just say the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. (laughs) It's fun. I promise. (laughs) Don't be scared. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The first is favorite book. Favorite book. uh, 
what I just read was um, uh, uh, Chip Connolly's uh, Wisdom at Work, uh, the um, Modern Elder. Nice. It sounds like I need that. Um, uh, who inspires you the most? Uh, Rene Redzepi. Very good one. He's very cool. Um, and the last one is, what makes you most excited about work? What makes you get out of bed every day, Eric? Changing my environment and the people around me uh, for, for better through food. Oh, that's a good one. It's been so cool to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I can't wait to hear about your adventures at the Global Seed Vault when you do go. Um, but it, it's really been a pleasure <laughs> to have you. And thanks so much for, for all that you do. Uh, thanks for having me. And, and right back at you. you do, uh, you're such an important voice in, in, this, uh, in this movement. Uh, that's, so thank you. That's very kind. Thanks. I'll see you soon, Eric. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nuremberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.